How many of you had some awkward years in like the junior to senior high range? Yeah, I know. Some of you never got out of it. Uh, like me. Uh, yeah. So I had a few of those years, uh, which I like to call my entire childhood. Uh, if you want to, you can get to see me in all of my awkward junior to senior high glory. I think that's ninth or tenth grade there. I got the beginnings of a mustache. It's beginning to happen, and I wasn't letting that thing go for nothing, so we were growing that as best as I could. All right, no one wants to look at that anymore. Uh, A lot of us probably had some awkward years. Uh, Right around that junior to senior high time, uh, I think I was about 15 in that picture. Uh, A lot of us, like myself, had a lot of insecurity at that time. Our bodies were changing. We were uh, getting a little bit older. We were beginning to become a lot more aware of the people around us and their opinions of us for some reason started to matter. Uh, And one of the big parts of that junior to senior high transition is you begin to start to try to find a place to belong. Before that, you just kind of hung out. Like I remember uh, as a kid, I would just hang out with the kids that lived around, lived up on the mountain with me. Uh, We would just play and have fun, and it never mattered to me to belong. But right around, you know, that awkward picture time, uh, it started to matter that I belonged with a certain group. And I started to realize I don't really fit in anywhere. Well, at that time in my life, I didn't really fit in any of the places that I was looking for a place to belong. I didn't really fit in in school because of my family. Uh, It was a very small town, and people knew our family. We were that family uh, that was really messed up and, you know, in and out of jail and all this crazy stuff. And so uh, we kind of had that stigma already. And also, on top of that, I was a Christian, and so I didn't really fit in in school because I didn't want to do a lot of the things, didn't want to, you know, I just was kind of shunned because of uh, the fact that I was, and at that point, I was only a Christian for like a year or so. Um, I didn't fit in in sports. Sports were a huge part of my life. I played football, played track, did all that stuff, but didn't really fit in with those because I didn't want to engage in the activities or the conversations uh, that most of them did. And so I got a lot of ridicule um, in the sport arena because I didn't like, I didn't act like them. I didn't want to to be the culture of the sport. So I didn't fit in there either. Um, At church, I thought, well, this is a place I could fit in. But then I quickly found out I wasn't legalistic enough for the older people at the little Baptist church I was at. And I was too much of a holy roller for the other kids in the youth group who weren't really, the majority of them, not really living for Christ. Some pretty weird stuff was happening in that youth group. And I thought, this is really strange. I don't seem to fit in even here in this place. God has brought me on a long journey since then. Uh, I've gone through a a lot of different uh, places to possibly belong, but God's brought me through a lot of different um, situations in my life. And most of you probably have a story like that. You, th- you think back to your junior, senior high time, and you remember, like, man, that was, that was a weird time. And I don't know about you, but uh, I remember in high school, a lot of people thinking, like, this is it. Like, this is the time of our life. Like, this is going to be the last great time we have. And, you know, they, you think those are going to be your lifelong friends forever. And then, like, three months after you graduate, you don't even talk to any of them anymore. Uh, at least that was the case for me. Uh, and someone had told me this before, you know, I think like my, early in my senior year, 
And it really gave me a different perspective to go through my senior year with because they were like crying at graduation. I'm like, yes, I finally get out of here. I hated school. So um, don't ask me to talk to your kids about school. I'm the last person you want to talk to them about school. Uh, I could not wait to get out. But whatever the journey is that you've been on since those awkward junior, senior high years, most of us still struggle with insecurity. If we're honest with ourselves, most of us still do. Uh, probably not the same insecurities necessarily that we did. Uh, you know, most of us aren't, you know, guys, we're not struggling to keep that little mustache going anymore. Uh, most of us actually found out shaving stinks, and I wish we didn't have to do it. Most of us gave up on shaving, so uh, now we just do beards, now that it's socially acceptable. So we might not have the same insecurities, but most of us do still struggle with wanting to fit in and feeling insecure in the places where we're trying to fit in. Now, I can't say if Peter struggled with insecurity as he walked on the water toward Jesus. Uh, It was a short walk. Uh, All we're told is that he was terrified, that fear was a huge factor, Um, but I can't say for sure that insecurity had anything to do with it. But I think it might be a big reason, as as I've been kind of diving into this passage, as I've been, you know, marinating in it for a while, uh, one of the things that I see in here is, as I believe, now this is Bruce's personal belief, uh, I believe it had a lot of the reason as to why Peter got out of the boat in the first place. Peter was always trying to prove himself, especially to Jesus, what he would consider Jesus' elite, the 12 disciples. They were kind of the cream of the crop. And I can imagine, because you can see a lot in Peter's personality and character throughout the New Testament, and I see a person who's trying to belong, trying to prove that he belongs somewhere. Even when Jesus tells him that they're all going to walk away from him, what does Peter say? Not me, Lord! All these weaklings will walk away. I'll never. And what does he do? He denies Jesus three times because he's insecure. See, there's another portion of Scripture. Even after that happening where Peter, in order to fit in, to not look like the odd man out when he denies Jesus three times, even after he receives the Holy Spirit, after he becomes a foundational member uh, of the early church, one of the pillars of the early church, Peter still struggles with insecurity. Actually, there's an instance where Paul confronts Peter Uh, The Apostle Paul confronts Peter because of his behavior that I would argue completely stems from insecurity. Uh, If you have your own copy of God's Word, I encourage you to follow along. Um, Galatians chapter 2 is where we're going to start this morning, verses 11 to 14. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation, but you're welcome, obviously, to follow along in whatever translation you prefer. We'll also have the words up on the screen. Galatians chapter 2, 11 to 14 says, But when Peter came to Antioch, this is Paul speaking, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of Jesus came, of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. 
As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? This is Paul openly, publicly rebuking Peter for acting one way with a group of people, and then when some of the Jewish elite show up, Peter acts a totally different way. His desire is to fit in. He wants to fit in with this more important crowd because he's a true Jew by birth. And so he would want to associate, I would imagine, with those who were of like heritage with him. And the Jewish people always saw themselves as a higher class than the Gentiles. And so Peter's trying to fit in. He's, it says here, uh, he was afraid of criticism. Now, that's not true of any of us, right? None of us are ever afraid of criticism at at our workplace or in school or from the people that we know and love. Criticism just runs right off our back, right? So Peter knowingly goes against what he knew to be right. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt it didn't matter. Circumcision was no longer important. It had nothing to do with this new thing that Jesus had started. The law was done away with. It was fulfilled through Jesus, and so no longer was that a requirement. And yet, he does these things. Peter's desire to fit in came before the offense to those of non-Jewish heritage. Because I can imagine, I'm not a a Jewish person um, myself, if I was one of those crowd and Peter was eating with us, it would first it would be kind of like, wow, this is refreshing. A Jewish person is eating with us and doesn't consider us less than himself. But then when other of his friends came, now he won't eat with us anymore. I'd be pretty offended. I don't know about you, but I would. And so that offense to those people was less important than Peter's desire to fit in. Paul says that it's, this is a big deal because it even led to other Jewish believers following in that hypocrisy. And if you read some of, the, some of Paul's letters to the churches, a lot of what he battles is the Jewish belief that you still had to follow the law. That was one of the early teachings that was trying to creep into the church on a constant basis is that you have to follow the law. And Paul was very adamant against that. When Peter himself got the vision from God, God, of all the people that God could give that vision to, of of the unclean things coming down in the sheet and for them to eat, it was Peter himself, who the person who was dealing with his hypocrisy, uh, and God is the one that reveals that to him. So, like Peter, some of our insecurities are causing us to stumble on our way to Jesus. Like I said, I can't say that was the factor in his walk on the water to Jesus, but certainly in his life, Peter stumbled as he pursued Jesus because of his insecurities. We can see later in his ministry that these insecurities got his eyes off Jesus. And that's what this whole series is about. Sinking is a problem, not because we're sinking, but because we take our eyes off Jesus. That's why we sink is when our eyes get off of him, when they especially get off of him and onto our insecurities. And our insecurities will do the same to us if we don't deal with the things that are making us feel insecure. So how? How do we deal with our insecurities today? As most of us are adults, uh, we've probably learned a lot of coping mechanisms for our insecurities, but I'm going to suggest three key steps this morning to dealing with our insecurities. First, 
is identify the lie. Second, receive healing. And third is replace the lies with truth. How many of us, if we're honest, still have shame associated to our life before Christ? I can raise my hand. I have that. I feel that. Uh, Some of the things I did before I came to know Christ still kind of make me cringe a little bit. And if I'm honest, there there are times where there's some shame involved. Even though I know 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Amen. I rest on this verse a lot. This is one of the verses I come back to when Satan is trying to remind me like, hey, don't forget, you're kind of a dirtbag. Remember what you did before you were a Christian. Yes, I do. I'm a new creation. That old life is gone. A new life has begun. What a beautiful thing to know that we are not the person we were before we knew Christ. That person was a prisoner to sin, to the law, and to the other kingdom. And this person is not and, is, and has been forgiven. Uh, what a beautiful, beautiful truth. That's not our identity. So often the enemy wants to remind us that, hey, don't forget your identity is the person you were before you knew Christ. And God says, no, that's not true at all. The exact opposite is true. You've started a whole new life. That's why we call it born again. It's because a new life has started. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. See, I love this passage. Uh, It was a number of years ago God really opened my eyes to see what this passage meant. Uh, Verse 3 in particular, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've probably begun to realize I'm not the same person. I'm actually discovering things about myself I never knew were there. Here's why. They weren't there. You weren't that person. God is revealing your new life, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. So literally, as you learn more about Jesus, you learn more about yourself. You are revealed as you learn more about Christ. It's this beautiful thing. I remember when when we went to uh, West Africa, Uh, We took the trip down there, and Rick uh, Stratton went with us, and I remember seeing him come alive as he taught this class on how to maintain motos. Rick's an amazing mechanic, um, and he's teaching these guys how to basically do basic maintenance on their motos, Uh, and he told us, now rewind back to when we were beginning to prepare for the trip. We said, hey, you know, in one of our meetings, uh, what we're gonna, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to teach a module. You know, each of us is going to try to teach something while we're down there. And Rick's immediate response was, not me. There's no way. I can't teach anything. I'm not good at that. I don't have the gift of teaching. No, thank you. Fast forward, and you couldn't get him away from these guys. As he loved teaching. He literally learned more about himself as he served Jesus, as he engaged in what God, because he did not want to go on that trip. God told him he was going on that trip. And so he obeyed and he went and he began to learn more about who he is. Now he's learned he loves teaching if it's something like that. And he was used in a powerful way while he was there. 
We learn more about ourselves as we learn more about Jesus. As he is unveiled to us, he begins to peel back who we are, who this new creation is. Some of us still act like the old person because we're not learning more about Jesus. And so we just go back to our normal operating procedures before we knew Jesus, and we, just, and we wonder why we feel so strange, why it just doesn't feel genuine. It's because it's not. We're trying to act like the old person as a new person. So many of the lies that the enemy will use to create insecurities to get our eyes off Jesus are deeply rooted in our past. I want to say that again because I want you to really understand that. So many of the lies that the enemy will use to create insecurities that get our eyes off Jesus are deeply rooted in our past. Very often, the things which you struggle with, the things that you feel insecure about, have their attachment to your life before Christ. And the enemy tries to remind you of who you were and what you did and the things you were a part of. Many of them can be tied back to events or seasons or traumas that you experienced before you knew Christ. Things that you were engaged in, things that happened to you, and because of those things, there's these insecurities, these lies the enemy speaks over and over and over and over, and because he attaches them to a trauma or to an event or a season from your past, you have believed them because he just keeps repeating them over and over and over and over again. I was reading a book recently, and he point, you know, he was, was talking about this exact concept, and he talks about how if you just repeat something enough, people will begin to believe it. And, you know, because we as human beings only use 10% of our capacity in our brain, right? You know that? That's not true. People just keep repeating it. And so people believe it, that we only use 10% of our brain. That's not true. Never was true. But we just keep saying it, and people believe it. And so the enemy has done the same thing with you. He's been repeating over and over and over and over again these lies that you're not worthy, nobody likes you, and all of these different things. And because he repeats it so often, you've begun to believe it. And then he even ties it back to something that happened when when you were rejected as, as a kid or when something happened to you. And so now there's even more of a foundation to this lie. And so you believe it even more. The enemy, the enemy has used those memories to get your eyes off Jesus as often as possible. And the first step to defeating insecurity is to identify the lie, to find out what is the lie that I am believing. What is the lie the enemy has been convincing me of, something that I probably accept as just basic truth about myself, but is a lie built by the enemy? Well, let me just throw a couple out here. Do any of these sound familiar to you? If I give up my group of friends, which I know are unhealthy, I'll be alone. Or maybe it's not a group of friends. Maybe if I give up my boyfriend, my girlfriend, this relationship, then I'll be alone because nobody else is going to love me. If I was a better mom or a better dad, my house would be cleaner and I'd have things more together. I'm embarrassed because I'm not a good parent. The things I did before I knew Christ prove that deep down, I'm really not a good person. And if everybody knew the things I had done, they'd reject me to this day. Yeah, they talk about the new creation, but if they knew those things, they wouldn't let me in the church. Or the things I've done as a Christian 
are so repulsive. If, every, if anybody knew, they'd reject me and they wouldn't let me in this church anymore. How about I have to be the only Christian that is this messed up? Everybody else seems to have it together except for me. Man, I'm such a mess. If they knew what I dealt with through the week, they wouldn't say hi to me in church. Maybe you've believed the lie. If you just got your life together more, then Jesus would want you. Maybe you've believed that lie that I'm so messed up that I'm sure Jesus doesn't want me. So if I just get my life together better, then, then maybe I can, I can receive that mercy and that grace they talk about. And then church people would even accept me. And then I'd finally belong somewhere. Because my guess, which isn't really a guess, is there are many people in this place today who just feel like they don't belong anywhere. And they're not, they just don't want to say it. We don't want to admit that we don't feel like we belong. We, we try to belong in all these different arenas and we're just not finding a place of belonging. We all believe lies that lead to insecurity. This is not something that is just for new believers. This isn't something that's just for bad Christians or weak Christians. Every single one of us have this as an aspect to our life. We deal with this. And if we don't identify the lies, they will destroy us. They've robbed us in the past, and they continue to rob us today. A good prayer to start with this, on this journey. If you're sitting there saying, man, I, I, I know this might be true, but I can't think of anything. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. If you take this seriously, God will answer that. He will begin to reveal the lies that you are believing about yourself that are leading to insecurity. You're gonna need some help identifying these lies. I promise you cannot do this on your own. First, you're gonna need the Holy Spirit. Start there. Start in prayer. Start in seeking God and asking him to reveal these lies. But I would encourage you as well, process with some godly people you trust. Say, hey, this is some of the stuff that I'm dealing with, you know, and I just wanna process, I just wanna talk about this with you. Once you've begun to identify the lies, you can start dealing with them. So just give you one of my personal life experiences. One of the lies that, that I had to identify was I, I felt like, no, like if people ever actually knew me, they would completely reject me. And so I just, I don't get to know people very deep. I never did. And I had to identify this lie that deep down, I wasn't worth knowing. There wasn't anything special about me. Now, that might have to do a little bit with being a middle child and some of the other stuff that I've processed through, but that's a lie I believe, that I, there was really nothing about me that was worth getting to know. So I was very performance-based. I, you know, I had to be the best at things. I had, to, I had to do something better than everybody else so that I had a reason for people to like me. Now, I don't know if anybody else resonates with that lie, but that's a lie I believe. There's nothing worth getting to know about Bruce. Once these lies have been exposed, once I was able to expose that lie for what it was, that it was a lie from the pit of hell, you can begin the healing process. First, if the lie is tied to a specific moment or a trauma, many times they are. 
For me, it was tied to a lot of my life experiences as a kid, as you know, the kid of a, of a family that was super messed up and that was a middle child, and so I kind of got ignored to begin with, and I was just kind of left to my own thing, and nobody really took an interest in me. I never really had a mentor, I literally through college, even into my beginning of my pastoral uh, career. Nobody mentored me. Nobody took me under their wing. Nobody took a special interest in me. And so I believe there's really just nothing special about me. There's nothing worth getting to know. So once I was able to identify that and tie it back to some of this stuff, I was able to invite God in to heal those memories, to heal those things that I thought of, the things that, that brought that up in my life, to ask God, hey, I know that God heals physically. I know that he heals uh, tremendous physical things, but God also heals emotional trauma. I don't know if you knew that, but he does. He's a healer of all things broken. And he would love to be invited in to heal some of these things in your life. This is not a quick or an easy process. I promise you it's not. At times, God will touch you and the healing is amazing, but there's still a journey to walk through. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. God is the source of all true comfort. Now, you can find comfort in other things for a time, for a little while. Some of us have found comfort in drugs, in alcohol, in relationships, in shopping, in traveling, in many other things. But we've all found, man, that stuff is fleeting. It goes away so fast. That's not true comfort. True comfort comes from God. My encouragement to you is to to take heart in what this verse says, that God is the source of that comfort. So we start with him, but then we seek out others who have been through a similar journey and have received healing. That's an important part. Because you can find a lot of people that have been through a similar trauma to you, but if they haven't received healing, all they'll spread to you is the bitterness. All they'll spread to you is the pain and the ugliness of it the hopelessness of it. So you find somebody who has experienced maybe not the same trauma, but a similar thing or believed a similar lie and begin to process with them if they've received that healing and they can walk you through some of the same journeys they went through. Now, they won't have all the answers. I can promise you they won't have all the answers, but they might have tremendous insight into what you're feeling, what you're dealing with. If you've never had, uh, if you've ever had that experience where you were dealing with something, you were able to look into someone's eyes and they were able to authentically say to you, I know how you feel. There's power in that. Tremendous power. And that's what this verse is all about. It's saying when someone has walked through that valley, boy, is it powerful for someone to say, there's hope. I've gotten to the other side of that valley. Let me show you the path I walked. You might not be the same path for you, but let me at least show you there is a way through the darkness because that's another lie the enemy will convince you of. There's no way out of this. You're done. It's over. You'll never recover from this. And God says there's always hope. You might think there's no way to receive healing from this. There's no way to get through this. And God says, man, I've always created a way. And sometimes he sends people to be our guide. 
If you've been through some stuff, be ready to offer that insight to others. Be ready to turn around and like this verse says, when others are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. That's why community is so vitally important in the church. Because some of us have been through some of the things that, especially the younger, but not just the younger, but some people that are the same age as us or even older than us are just now going through. And they need Christ in you. They need to know there is hope and God wants to use you to be a part of that. Many times, healing will come through vulnerable moments with other believers. There is something powerful about those moments where we can be vulnerable with one another and say, this is where I'm at and I don't know how to get out. Help me. Man, those can be some really powerful moments. Maybe the lies that you're believing aren't tied to necessarily a trauma or an event, but they're tied to sins you've committed, either before you knew Christ or after, and maybe especially after you've come to know Christ. If this is true, then listen to this, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Notice that it doesn't say here, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus and never sinned or messed up again. But this is the lie the enemy will convince you of. That that verse ends with, never sinned or messed up again. Because you say, yeah, you say that there's no condemnation, but you don't know what I've done. I'm sorry, the Word of God doesn't change for your specific scenario. That works with sin, but it also works with this. It doesn't matter how bad you've messed up. There is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. The condemnation you feel is fabricated from the enemy. That needs to sink in for some of you because it's a self-inflicted or enemy-inflicted condemnation. The shame, the, the, the stuff, the junk that is attached to that sin, it was forgiven. It was wiped clean. It's not there. You're looking for a ghost. But the enemy will convince you it's there. It's so real. He'll convince you that the reason that person didn't shake your hand this morning, that the reason that person looked at you that way in church, because they know how messed up you are. And they don't want to even talk to you. That's how he works. Notice also James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Those lies about how others will reject you or shun you uh, are many times tied to unconfessed sin. You think people will reject you. You think they'll shun you because you're always afraid they're going to find out. And so you stay away so they don't find out. Here's the truth I want us to get this morning. It's something that I believe is not specific to our area of the world, but I think it is very powerful in this area, is the hiding that happens in our culture. And I mean by Western Pennsylvania culture. 
This idea that I just need to keep my sin to myself. I can't tell anybody about it. But we spend a life of hiding and worrying that people are going to find out who we really are. They're going to find out the sins that we've committed. And here's the honest truth. If we were able to put each of our secret lives on a TV somewhere in this room and we were all able to watch it, we would be amazed at how screwed up everybody else is just like us. That's the truth. And yet the enemy still, you're gonna, some of you are going to leave today with still hidden sin in your life, thinking that's not what he was talking about. That's too messed up. That's not, I can't, I cannot reveal that. But if you've also ever had that moment where you've kept something hidden in your heart, you've kept something away from the church, away from your friends, away from God even trying, you've confessed it to him, but then you tucked it back away because you don't want to confess it to others. And so you've kind of kept that bottled up. And if you've ever had that, where you're able to finally tell someone about what's going on and you were able to bring light to that, that feeling of being free from the weight of that. Man, if you've never felt that, Either you're really good at repenting early on, like better than everybody else here, or you're really good at lying to yourself that your sin isn't that big of a deal, that it really doesn't matter about that sin, or you've convinced yourself, that's just too messed up. I'll keep that tucked away, and I'll confess to some of the smaller stuff so that at least I look humble and I look repentant. But here's the thing, church. There's so many people in these pews. You don't need to look around. But so many of us sitting here this morning have it. We have those secret sins we just don't want to talk about. And we just pray never get found out. And if you would just release that stuff, so much of the lies and the insecurity would fade away because that's where the enemy's got you. That's the the string he has attached to you. And when you break that, man, it feels amazing. I've been there. I've had that stuff. I've finally come out with it and, and told others about it. And it feels like you were in a cloud, in a fog. And, you know, if you've ever been driving in a fog and all of a sudden you break through that wall and it's just clear all of a sudden, it's like, wow, this is amazing. That's what God wants for you. No matter where the, the lies originate, we should make a regular habit of seeking to expose those lies and to seek healing from them. This isn't a one-time exercise. This isn't like, okay, I'm going to go this week, I'm going to talk to God, I'm going to figure out all the lies that I'm believing, and then I'm going to get healing, and then you know I'm going to be good. That's not how this works. This is a lifetime journey constantly going back and saying, okay, what are the new lies I'm believing? What is Satan trying to convince me of now? What is he repeating that he's trying to get me uh, to believe? After each lie is exposed and we've begun to receive healing over whatever was causing that lie, whether it's confessing the sin, whether it's uh, receiving healing over a trauma or an event, it's time to start to replace those lies with truth. And that's where the power really sets in if we don't want the lie to continue to have power over us, we need to replace the lie with truth. John eight thirty two very clearly. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is where the freedom comes in. Where is the best source of truth? Google? 
I hope not. I showed you how flawed Google was a couple weeks ago. God's Word. That's where the best truth that you're ever going to find is in God's Word. John 17, 17. It says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. This is where the truth is that you need to find. Whatever that lie is you're believing, whatever Satan is trying to convince you of, whatever he's trying to take you out with, this is where you're going to find to battle with it. Begin to discover what God has to say about your particular lie or lies through Bible study, through godly counsel, or specific studies geared toward whatever that is, whatever insecurity you're dealing with. Uh, if, you, if you're not already connected to Right Now Media, then email me today, and I'll get you connected to Right Now Media. And because all you got to do is go in there, and in the search bar, just search whatever the topic is over whatever lie the enemy's been believing, uh, getting you to believe, and you can begin to watch some of these Bible studies and some of these awesome men and women of God that will speak from God's Word about these things, and it's a tremendous way to start to discover there is hope. Right now, media is an awesome resource. I encourage you, if that's something, um, to, to search that out. But simply knowing the truth, it's not enough. Many of us know certain things, but we still believe the lie. So just having the head knowledge isn't enough. One of my favorite sayings about this is, knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. All right? For those of you that eat salads, you, have, you can have that, all right? Uh, I don't use it because I don't eat salads. But... Uh, Knowledge and wisdom are very different. Knowledge is just facts. Wisdom is knowledge applied. It's applying that knowledge. Once you've discovered some of the specific truths to combat uh, a specific lie, write out, here's, here's your homework, write out a personal declaration that you will repeat often to replace that lie with truth. See, some of these things, they need time to be broken. The enemy has spent years, sometimes decades, saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. And so what you, I would encourage you to do is to every morning you wake up, look yourself in the mirror, and say your personal declaration. Now, these personal declarations don't just quote Scripture. Personalize it to yourself personalize it to your situation or to that specific lie you've been believing Uh, and use obviously use scripture because that's where the truth is that you're looking for use that truth to personalize a declaration for yourself that you will speak to yourself over and over and over and over and over again and you're going to repeat that personal declaration to yourself as often as possible until that becomes your automatic response to a trigger is when you start to hear the truth before the lie, that's when you know you're beginning to make some work on this. You're beginning to get some progress on that. You want to know what Romans 12.2 is talking about. This is part of what it's talking about. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. How do you think This happens. It's constantly washing your mind with the word, constantly repeating these declarations that are based in the truth of God. 
and you say them, and, and trust me, there's actual scientific proof as to why you should do this looking in a mirror, looking at yourself and saying this to yourself in, in a mirror. There's power there. It rewires your brain to not go into these ruts that you had believed the lies. It creates new ones where you believe this is the truth. So as you walk through this, identify the false belief. Identify the cause of the lie. What is God or what is the enemy using to get me convinced of this lie? What trauma is he using? What memories is he using? What sin is this tied to? And then invite God in to heal that memory or those memories or the event. Ask, ask God to, to heal whatever it is. Or maybe God's saying, I'm ready. You just need to go confess your sin. You need to get this thing off your chest. You've been holding this in for too long. It's killing you. It's eating you alive from the inside. And God is very clear in his word. He's limited by that. He can't heal that. We need to confess the sin. And then he can heal after that. Some of us have been wanting to be healed for so long over something. And the reason God can't do it is because we have unconfessed sin that we're just not willing to give up. And then after that, after we begin to receive healing, we replace the lies with truth, with the truth of God's word. This week, I encourage you, strongly encourage you to begin a journey where you start to write personal declarations in light of what you see in Scripture that specifically speaks to your lies and begin to speak them over yourself. And trust me, when you first make them, it'll seem silly. I can tell you this from experience. You'll, you'll feel silly. You'll think this isn't true. I don't believe this. And that's why you know you need to do it. As especially when you say it to yourself and you look at yourself in the mirror and you think, you're a liar. This isn't true. Even though you're using God's word, even though you know it's truth, you will initially respond possibly negatively to it. And you keep doing it over and over and over until you believe what you are saying or you believe what God has spoken over you. You allow your mind to be transformed by God's word. It's not quick. And man, it's not easy. It'll be painful at times. The enemy will try to convince you it is not worth it. Just leave it alone. It's not worth bringing up old wounds as the worship team comes forward. We're going to spend some time uh, practicing this. The enemy will try to convince you that it's just not worth it. That if you, if you dredge up this stuff, if you open, I've heard this many times, I don't want to open old wounds. Man, how do you expect to get healed? How, how would you deal with somebody who was walking around with like a, a weird crooked leg that all that needs is like broken and reset? And they say, I don't want to open old wounds. That's how some of our sin is. It's crippling us as we go through life. And the enemy's convinced us not to bring it up, not to talk about it, not to confess it. And man, some of you have experienced the power of that, that freeing power of when it, becomes, when it comes into the light. And I'm not telling you it's not going to be painful. I'm not telling you it's not going to be uh, really, really difficult at times and there aren't going to be dark moments. But man, it's so worth having that. Our general culture of Western Pennsylvania, this is something I see so prevalent. It's why I believe we lack community so, so much. It's because we're all so worried that somebody's going to figure out who we really are. And man, if we could just 
empty that stuff, we can really begin to worship God and have the community that God wants for us. Even when, and, and when you're in this journey and you feel like, I can't take it anymore. This is too much. The blessing of what Peter taught us, because Peter messed it all up as he walked toward Jesus, got his eyes off him, got really afraid. Who knows what else he was thinking and messed up, and he just used that one last card that we all have. Save me, Lord. I need you right now. And so we're going to worship. I encourage you to either stand or um, whatever you want to do. Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. If you're in this and you just don't know where to go, step out into one of the aisles and let someone, someone's going to come and pray over you. Or if you want to come forward and you just want a private moment, uh, then come to here to the altar. But I encourage you, don't walk away from today. If there's something that God has been whispering to you, if you, if this is hitting a place of truth in your life, don't leave here today with it because it'll become easier and easier to try to tuck it back into the dark recesses of your heart. And God wants to do some work this morning. I firmly believe it. God wants to do some work here in this place this morning. And so this song is all about just resting in the arms of God. And I encourage you to clean out the closet this morning so that you can feel that embrace of the Father to be wrapped up by him. It's it's called The More I Seek You, and it's all about just the more that we enter his presence, the more that we seek him, the more we find him. And so I encourage you this morning to seek him with everything you have. Don't leave anything out. Ask God to heal those broken places of your life. Ask him to to enter those memories and those traumas and whatever it is that the enemy's been using to to make you feel insecure and to rob you of the joy God has for you because he doesn't want you to live in shame. That is not God. And so I encourage you this morning as they play, come on forward or step out into the aisle and someone will pray for you. If you can't stand up into the aisle, just raise your hand and someone will come and pray over you, okay? Uh, the rest of us, you can stay seated. You can lay on your face. You can stand up. Whatever you want to do, however God wants to interact with you right now, I encourage you, let's, let's just worship him this morning. Let's get rid of some of this stuff.
This love is so deep, it's more than I can stand. I'm melting your peace, it's overwhelming. I wanna sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand, lay back against you. I know this work has just started, Lord. I know there's some people here who are still resisting you, God. And there's stuff that they've locked away for so long, God, they don't even know how to bring it into the light. God, I pray you would enable them to surrender it to you. And not just to you, because that's where the enemy gets us. Thinking we can just confess it to you, not obey the word of God. Confess it to others and receive actual healing and freedom. Lord, I pray for those in our midst who have traumas that nobody knows about. They have memories and things that the enemy ties lies to that they really don't want to open up. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to open those old wounds. Lord, I pray you would give them the courage to do it. The courage to open that up and invite you in to heal that they would experience true healing and realize they've been walking around crippled their whole life. God, I pray just general healing over this in our lives. There is so much you want to do here. Lord, I believe the reason we don't experience the community you desire for us has a lot to do with our insecurities. Lord, I pray against this this desire to try to fit in in all these worldly places where we'll never fit in. Lord, I pray we would find belonging in you first, that our identity would be secure in you. And from that, we would find incredible community among this place, that this would be the family we can come to and know that, man, as messy as it gets, This is where we are loved. This is where your mercy and your grace abound because we have been forgiven so much. Of course we're willing to extend forgiveness to others because there's nobody as messed up as me. Lord, if we had that mindset, like Paul did, that he was the chief of sinners, man, what community we could have. Lord, I pray that over us this morning. This would be a church of belonging. This would be a church of community, of family-oriented community, that we would live out our vision to be a family where everyone can know, experience, and be empowered to ignite the love of Christ. That's who we are. And Lord, I pray that would become more real and more true each and every day. Lord, I know some of us will leave this morning and this work's not done. I pray you would continue this work throughout this week that this would be a day of change for us. No longer would the enemy have chains tied to our past, tied to these memories, tied to this stuff. You would break these chains. And this would be a week of freedom 
that we can walk with you and engage with you without knowing there's something still tucked away. Lord, I pray for any who still need to come up to this altar, still need to have that conversation today. Lord, give them the courage to do that. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a good week.